It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and right off the bat, we've got a uh, a slight program change uh, in that I was uh, planning to talk to uh, Omar Ocampa from the Institute for Policy Studies, and uh, we're not able to connect. So instead, we're going to talk with uh, Martin Shonos. My guest this hour should be uh, joining us uh, by phone shortly. Um, he is uh, the author of a new book called Work, Love, and Learning in Utopia, Equality Reimagined. He is an anthropologist on the faculty of Appalachian State University. He has previously taught at Columbia University, John Hopkins, Johns Hopkins uh, University, and the University of Pencil- Pennsylvania, and is the author of The Paradox of Power from 1993, An Intimate Exclusion. In uh, 2003, his uh, newest book uh, is uh, Work, Love, and Learning in Utopia, Equality Reimagined. I think he's about to join us. Uh. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Tom Sumner. Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, welcome back, everybody. Sorry for that uh, that little glitch getting the uh, show started today. We got a great show in uh, in store coming up uh, during the third half of our three hour tour. A little later this morning, we'll be talking with um, uh, interesting guy uh, Greg Everett, who is uh, he has uh, coached the Olympic sport of weightlifting for over fifteen years, but he has a new book called Tough. Building True Mental, Physical, and Emotional Toughness for Success and Fulfillment. And uh, we're going to talk with him about that. Uh, Before that, in the second hour of the show, we're going to talk with... um, uh, Let's see, who do we have? Um, Oh, yeah, uh, Drs. Sadia Khan and Clyde Yancey from the um, Northwestern uh, School of Medicine. And uh, we're going to talk about COVID-19 and its impact on uh, people with heart conditions. Um, pretty interesting stuff. But first, with the Super Bowl coming up this weekend, um, I guess I shouldn't say Super Bowl. I should just say the big game. But uh, I think everybody uh, everybody's aware that this is Super Bowl Sunday coming up. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how things have evolved over this last year for sports barons and uh, to do that I'm joined uh, by phone with Omar Ocampo from the Institute for Policy Studies. Omar welcome to the show. Hey thank you for having me. Um, Did I say your last name right Omar? I'm terrible with names. Yeah it's um, it's correct. Good good I'm glad. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's let's talk about this for a minute because um, I've had uh, Chuck Collins uh, from IPS has been on the show many times, um, and 
we're we're well aware the listeners are well aware that there are people that are doing better during the pandemic than others uh-huh. and this year's super bowl is going to be kind of a different uh, production and a different way of experiencing the super bowl for a lot of people but for some people it's just another payday right yeah, so, um, you know, we released a report a couple of days ago, and one of the key findings of our report is that uh, 62 billionaires and, like, two, uh, you know, wealthy families that have a net worth of over a billion dollars, um, they own about, uh, you know, 68 teams across uh, four major professional sports, um, and their total wealth is a combined uh, $426 billion. And over the past year, uh, essentially, their wealth has increased by about $100 billion. And uh, while it's true that the NFL is uh, down this year when it, you know, with regards to revenue, um, the, the, their billionaire owners have made some incredible gains. And, uh, and all of this is, during, is happening during a, you know, a global pandemic where we have you know, hundreds of thousands of uh, people who have died from the virus, millions more are unemployed, and many um, you know, are experiencing housing and food insecurity. And yet, as, you know, as recently as last month, uh, one owner you know, um, from the you know, Jacksonville Jaguars was asking you know, for uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in you know, public subsidies to upgrade uh, his football stadium. How I, I ask this question all the time, and I, I'm never really sure I I understand the answers. But with with sports being you know really curtailed over this last year, um, mm-hmm. from high school sports to college sports to to professional sports, um, you know games have been canceled, postponed. Um, where is the revenue coming from? If the games don't uh, happen, how are people making money? Yeah. So the thing is that the, um, you know, uh, for you know, super like for the owners of sports teams, there uh, a lot of times um, uh, owning a sports team is almost like a hobby. It's like you know, one one of the things that they have something on the side. Um, so some. Owners, you know, they they come from, uh, you know, they make they made their wealth or their fortune through like real estate, uh, for example, um, or you know they've been in the oil business or they come from families who have been part of the oil business. Um, you know, uh, one person in particular that you know this is a, you know a basketball team owner. Um, his name is Robert Perra, and he was you know he he made. Uh, He's considered like one of the youngest uh, billionaires in the country, and he's made his fortune through like you know the tech industry. Um, and, you know he's uh, uh, he has this uh, his company called Ubiquity, and you know they do like you know uh, you know wireless hardware, um, you know for computers. So that's so their wealth is increasing, um, you know, regardless of how. Um, uh, you know their their sports team, and or if their their sports team is is generating uh, of revenue. Um, you know, one other person that I, I can think of is um, you know Dan Gilbert of the you know uh, of the Cleveland Cavaliers. You know, he uh, his wealth increased like five hundred eighty eight percent in the past year, and, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that he took his company public over the summer. So um, that's how they 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 increased their wealth. Um, 
even though the their their sports teams itself are not generate generating the revenue it normally does. Well, Dan Gilbert, of course, is is known to uh, anyone in Michigan, as our show is based in Michigan, out of the Detroit area. We don't always associate him with with Cleveland, Omar. That's um, I was reading through uh, some of the report, and and uh, I, that just slips my mind whenever Dan Gilbert comes up that that he's uh, connected to the Cavaliers. Yeah, um, yeah, like like yeah, it's. Um and it's probably because that you know a lot of these billionaire owners, when you know they decide you know, uh, you know what to do with their money, they decide to buy uh, sports teams. So it's so it's po- it's uh, definitely possible that you know they end up uh, you know purchasing teams in cities that they don't have you know uh, a close connection to. I was um, you know I always look at the uh, at the Super Bowl ads um, every year. And I, I was looking at, at some of the ones that have leaked already uh, this morning. And it's it's just surprising to me that they're still selling lots of ads for the Super Bowl. I mean, it's got to be down from previous years. But um, I'm surprised that, that there's even a, a, a Super Bowl happening because of the, the pandemic. Um, when you say that these guys buy teams as sort of a hobby, um, don't they still make a lot of money off the, the merchandise and ticket sales and television revenues and those kinds of things? Yes, absolutely. Um, and so that becomes, uh, you know, an additional revenue stream to, you know, what they have, you know, most billionaires, they have, uh, you know, a diverse uh, uh, portfolios, so they have a lot of assets in there. So, not everyone's not just dedicated to one thing. So, you know, some might have, uh, you know, real estate, they might own stocks and something else. They and you know, sports teams they they generate a, a lot of revenue for them. And you know, I think it's impressive that the Super Bowl is even happening. That they were able to complete it on time. Um, you know, the, there hasn't been like no major stoppage of, of games, and it's still happening. You know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, on the first Sunday of uh, February. Um, so uh, yeah, so it's 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 pretty impressive, and I think it makes sense that they're still generating ad revenue, considering um, you know that I wonder, people are going to be home. I, I, I was going to say, I wonder if because people are home and looking for things to do, if you know, even though it's one of the most watched television programs every year, I wonder if the audience will actually even be bigger this year. Yeah, that that's a that's a very good question, and and you know, considering that you know that the Super Bowl is, is pretty much like a cultural event, but other aspects of the Super Bowl that um, are, hey, are going to be down. Omar, I, I I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have to go to a break here. Can we put a comma there and pick it up uh, on the other side? Uh, yes, sir. Good. We'll talk some more with Omar Ocampo from the Institute for Policy Studies after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties, make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. The Tom Sumner Program.com.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue my conversation with Omar Ocampo from the uh, Institute for Policy Studies about their uh, recent report that uh, it came out just in time for the Super Bowl uh, that, that indicates billionaire sports owners like those of the Chiefs and the Bucks are... Uh, champs of of an economic Super Bowl of sorts, and uh, we're going to talk some more about that. Omar, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No, no, no. Thank you. Um, Omar, just just before the break, we were you had mentioned um, the subsidies that some of these guys get for uh, stadiums. Mm-hmm. What is the justification for our elected officials and and uh, uh, the people that work for us in government. Um, what is their justification for giving billionaires uh, a leg up when it comes to um, infrastructure projects, like not just the stadiums, but even some of the uh, infrastructure around them, roads and, and so on, signage, mm-hmm. that kind of thing? Yeah, there is not much uh, justification at all. Um, many professional sports teams, they um, they actually kind of like coerce uh, the, their city governments to provide them with subsidies because they kind of threaten to leave for like another city, though uh, a team actually leaving is, is kind of rare. Um, so it's like, it's definitely like a, a, a scare tactic, but it's, uh, but it's a threat that is like often deployed um, you know, like I mentioned, uh, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars that, you know, uh, they were demanding an upgrade to their stadium um, recently. And they were vague about whether or not they were going to stay if they didn't get funding uh, uh, from the city. And it's uh, and it's quite amazing that you know, it, that's the case, considering that, uh, you know, Shahid Khan, he's, you know, worth, uh, you know, close to $8 billion. And, um, you know, and then, you know, one has to ask oneself if, you know, um, if these, uh, you know, this taxpayer money is, you know, that is given to profitable sports uh, franchises, does it actually have like an economic benefit? And uh, research has shown that the impact on uh, employment and economic activity uh, on, on a sports facility is negligible at best. So, I, there's, uh, you know, we argue that there's no reason why we have to socialize the cause just so the so the profits can be privatized. It, and it it just I, I can't help wondering if there's no revenue upside for cities in supporting these kinds of projects. Is it community pride? Is it about morale? I mean, how do they how do they justify, especially in cities that are that are struggling financially, as many are not just during the pandemic, but even before the pandemic that they're able to find money to put into these projects for people who could clearly afford to do it themselves. Yeah, exactly. So I you know I think part of the justification is that the idea that the um you know the stadium itself and the sports team actually generate some t- some type of economic activity um and it also provides employment but uh um and there's also like you know some city pride and you know it kind of helps boost morale for the residents of a certain city. Um, but, uh, you know, as I said, research is, shows that, uh, that, the the economic benefits are, is, is, you know, is very, very small and it's probably not worth, uh, the investment that, you know, uh, of public funds. 
And with these these billionaires that own sports teams like the uh, the Bucks and the Chiefs that are playing this weekend, um, what is their um, is you said that they they buy these teams almost as kind of a, a hobby, but is there more to it than that, or is it just they like sports, they've got the money, so I own a sports team. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true for the the for the Kansas City Chiefs because the the founder, uh, the family, like their their, their father, the because right now the children of Lamar Hunt, they're the ones who own the team. Um, uh, you know, collectively, like the, their father, Lamar Hunt, he was actually the founder of the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think he was one of the principal founders of the AFL as well. So, so there's definitely, um, uh, you know, a passion for sports and. And, you know, it may not have started as a hobby for them. And it's, and it's kind of like, you know, uh, it's also part, you know, of business at the same time. But, you know, for others, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something, you know, like that, you know, that they can show off and that's, you know, it's part of their, their portfolio. What about the, the players themselves? How do, how do they fare in all of this? Um, you know, we read these you know phenomenal contracts we read about uh, mm-hmm. these big dollar contracts H- how are the players faring economically yeah so the players are doing uh, really well and it's it's interesting because when we normally think of sports we normally think of uh, the athletes being you know some you know very well high paid ultra you know high net worth individuals but we tend to forget that behind them is also um you know people who are worth even more and um, and it's interesting because if my memory serves me correctly, I remember there was you know among the first people in sports to offer to cover the salaries of you know arena staff, um, you know when the pandemic started was actually the players, you know like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Love, uh, Zion Williamson, and this you know kind of like caused uh, you know owners uh, let's say like uh, uh, Mark Cuban to step up and. And offer payment plans or some form of financial aid to arena staff, and you know they're the ones who really need the the support. Um, you know the people who you know who are not you know uh, you know making uh, uh, seven figures. And and with the uh, um, the game this weekend, um, mm-hmm. they're letting some people in. It it sounds to me like they're not even charging admission for those people like some of the frontline uh healthcare workers and so on yeah no that's uh, uh really interesting i mean even in the nba they're starting to, to allow some limited fans and the uh, nfl um you know throughout the season they they always had um you know um you know their, some of their stadiums to be you know filled to like you know a certain capacity so like there was there, there were be, they was able to have like some th- thousands of fans um but yeah no i think you know part of that is you know to you know to make sure that people have the be able to have the experience of you know of being there live for uh, a super bowl which is a you know a really big huge event in in the country but uh, sports billionaires are not the only ones that are faring well this is just mm-hmm. another example of how billionaires are doing very well when the rest of us might not be. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, it's clear that um, the the people who've primarily benefited the past, in the past year has been the billionaire class, and to a certain extent, at least for like some of them, it, it makes some intuitive sense because the pandemic has played to their strengths. Um, so it's it definitely advantage online retailers like Amazon or, you know, um, a service like Zoom, like the, the demand for that has skyrocketed. So it makes sense, uh, you know, um, why the, their net worth is up. But, you know, in, in essence, the, you know, um, the stock market is, you know, uh, right now is being propped up by the Federal Reserve who have reduced interest rates and, They've committed themselves to purchasing, uh, you know, corporate bonds, and this sends a signal to like traders and investors who are, are now like willing to buy like risky assets because they know that they basically have a floor that was guaranteed by the Fed, and all this pushes uh, the stock prices up. So if you're, you know, uh, you know, a, an owner of a company that is traded, uh, you know, publicly, um, you have been a very big uh, uh, beneficiary. Um, of uh, you know the of the past year, I've asked people this question before, and and I'm curious what your thoughts are, and if you have any insights into this. It 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 seems to me as if there are two economies: one that works for the billionaire class, and the one that works for or doesn't work for the rest of us. We've got people who are. Um, basically on the edge of their seats waiting for Congress to come to some sort of an agreement about a relief package to get their hands on a $1,400 check. And then there are these other people that are making money hand over fist. If people, if, if John Q. Public is broke and, and not able to spend the way he might in another year, in a different year that didn't have a pandemic. Where is the money these guys are making coming from? Yeah, so, um, um, so the, the money that it's basically like, um, it's basically in the stock market, at least right now. Um, so the, the money, uh, at the moment is technically not liquid. It just means that their assets have, have increased. And, um, and so it's, it's basically, um, uh, yeah, it's basically their assets have increased uh, in value, so therefore their net worth goes up. But the thing is, they're they're easily to you know uh, you know turn that into cash uh, quite easily um, if they were to sell some of those shit uh, those shares. And um, you know, uh, and it's interesting because if you want to like compare it to like something that's happened in the past couple of weeks with like you know the whole GameStop stock issue, uh, you know. Uh, you know that's a stock that went up like you know rather rapidly, and there was uh, you know liquidity issues for like uh, you know like uh, for uh, you know uh, Robinhood, which is an app that where you know people can sell and buy uh, 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 purchase and sell uh, stocks. So th- that's basically the basis of, um, of of their money is that you know their uh, and their increase in net worth, um, and it's because um, um, their assets have increased and and they get you know. You know dividends from those assets, but it's not like um, you know um, someone has you know access to a hundred billion dollars in cash like right. I mean uh, right away. What happened to the the notion that uh, uh, that the wealthy uh, business owners in in various communities around the country had 
50 plus years ago that if I'm doing good, everybody's doing good, and they poured their own money into things like building stadiums and museums and things. Um, what, whatever happened to those people? Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, the, a lot of, uh, you know, billionaires do engage in, you know, philanthropy. So, but, you know, our argument is that, you know, philanthropy is not enough and it's not something um, that, you know, um, like the scale of it is, is is not enough. And so, you know, we recommend, a, you know, a number of, uh, you know, uh, solutions where we can, you know, um, tax some of the um, some of their wealth, so, that, so therefore everyone can be, so some of the prosperity can be shared uh, amongst uh, everyone else. So, you know, something, you know, one, one of the solutions that we we, we, we advance is, uh, is an increase in the capital gains tax. You know, we should treat, you know, the, the income that billionaires receive from their assets that's generated by their assets um, like stock dividends that, you know, we should tax that the same way we tax, uh, you know, wages and salaries of workers and, and, and doing this has the potential to generate, uh, you know, substantial revenue. And then therefore we can, you know, deploy those resources to, you know, to help build, uh, um, you know, uh, infrastructure for hospitals, you know, improve public education, um, you know, maybe provide some affordable housing. So, um, you know, Billionaires, they're, they're, some of them are very passionate about this very topic, but, um, you know, I think that, you know, to do it more equitably and more efficiently um, and, you know, and basically to, you know, make sure it has, you know, a grand scale, you know, where it actually scales up to, you know, reach, um, you know, everyone, the, you know, it requires taxation. And and you said it requires taxation. Is is there any scenario where free market forces adjust this or does it absolutely have to be handled by public policy i definitely think it needs to be handled by uh, public policy because um something that we've witnessed in the past 40 years is that the you know tax rates have uh have been you know uh, going down and you know the wealth is is continues to be concentrated at the top without much uh you know distribution towards the bottom so, so therefore, we think that uh, you know we argue, and research shows that uh, you know that you know tax it, the, the free market on its own is not going to be able to um, uh, address this issue. Um, and uh, you know, public policy is, is you know uh, you know one uh, is just one tool. Would it would it make sense um, to have a a a flat tax or is it really just a matter of of um, readjusting and recalculating progressive tax systems that we've had now for decades? Um, yeah, no, I think uh, you know, and it's uh, we definitely need a you know a progressive uh, a progressive tax system, and uh, you know, with the presidential campaigns of you know of Elizabeth Warren, the idea of like uh, taxing wealth has become more mainstream. And um, and uh, and it can be an effective way to you know raise revenue and uh, and combat wealth inequality. So like her plan, which I think is phenomenal, would implement like a two percent tax on uh, accumulated assets over you know uh, uh, you know that are worth more than fifty million fifty million. And I believe and I believe she said a three percent tax on assets that are worth over a billion. 
And so her plan would generate $300 billion every year, which is about like $3 trillion over 10 years. And this could provide a lot of res- uh, you know, revenue for the state in order to provide like, you know, child care, um, you know, housing and education and health. You know, when you talk about billions and trillions, I, I get kind of glassy-eyed, Omar. <laughs> it's, hard, <laughs> it's hard for me to even imagine those kinds of numbers, but we're looking at a COVID relief package that the president is, uh, is promoting and shopping around on Capitol Hill of $1.9 trillion. Mm-hmm. And that clearly has a long-term effect on the country's financial position. Um, is, is the, is Congress going to be forced at some point to turn to the billionaire class and say, we're going under and we need to increase your taxes? Yeah, I mean, this is where, um, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a very tough question. I mean, I think, um, you know, um, the, you know, I think Joe Biden is not interested in in implementing a wealth tax. You know, he's he's interested in implementing like an increased income tax. You know, something. You know, if they make you know two or three million dollars a year, you know, he he has no problem increasing their you know their um, their taxes on you know the wages that they earn. But as far as I, I'm concerned, and I, can, I could be wrong, but I haven't heard anything of you know increasing uh, you know capital gains tax or have a wealth tax. Um, you know, something that can really generate, you know, significant revenue. And, and for the billionaire class, most of, the, most of their income actually comes not from working, but, you know, from, you know, returns on um, and, and dividends from uh, investments and in their assets. So, um, no, I agree with you that, you know, the idea, I, I don't think people, uh, you know, um, your average person really appreciates, like, you know, how much a billion is and how much bigger that is compared to, like, a million. Um, and, you know, and just the... You know, for us, just to gain perspective, that the wealth gains made in the past year by, uh, you know, the the you know just just the sports teams owners who are billionaires, you know, just the uh, just them, the, the, the you know we can send, uh, you know, seventy seventy million people fourteen hundred dollar checks tomorrow, and you know it would cover more than a third of the of the cost of providing, you know, a $400 a week supplement to existing unemployment insurance for the next seven months. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, it's really, it's really big numbers. And, uh, um, and hopefully that people will have the, you know, the political class will notice that, you know, we need, you know, more resources and, and it has to come from the top. Yeah. Because the, for the first time, um, since World War II, the national debt exceeds GDP. And it just seems to me that the the financial position of the country um, has got to change. Now, now following World War II, we went through a period where, you know, in paying off the the cost of the war and so on. But but we did it. We we got back within some kind of realm of of uh, making financial sense. Um, it it seems like it's going to be time to do that again, and I wonder, and and I'm curious what your thoughts are, if Congress has the political will to turn to who are, in fact, in most cases, their own contributors and, and benefactors, and say, 
um, you know, we need help here. We're going to have to raise your taxes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I actually checked this morning. There are currently uh, 663 billionaires, and that's 46 more than 11 months ago, and they have a total net worth of, uh, if you round it up, it's $4.2 trillion. And uh, which is a uh, 1.2 trillion dollars more than last year, and and it accounts for like four percent of all wealth in the U.S. So uh, yeah, they that that that's a, a a revenue source that it has to be tapped into in in order to you know not just you know uh, print money or not just to borrow it, just to you know increase debt. You know with the 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 federal government needs to raise revenue, and they have to tap into uh, that class. Yeah, this isn't this isn't a situation that gets solved by raising the debt limit. It, mm-hmm. it we really have to generate more revenue in this country. Absolutely, and uh, you know some of the tools, um, uh, policies that we we recommend would be increasing capital gains tax, uh, wealth tax, and even restoring a robust estate tax. You know, um, historically speaking, uh, the estate tax was Know, a significant uh, re- uh, source of revenue for the federal government, but it has increased in the past uh, in the past few decades. So if we can, you know, you just even restore it to the rates that you know it existed uh, in the you know um, in the 1970s, um, you know, a progressive uh, estate tax, uh, you know, it mainly targets you know millionaires and billionaires, which means that only like 0.2 percent of the population has to pay it. But it will still raise raise billions and billions of dollars. So yeah, we need to you know raise revenue. Do stadiums create any revenue for the the cities they're located in? As far as far as I'm concerned, it does not. It most of it, um, you know, it pays the salaries. Um, it pays. It goes into uh, you know the profits of, of owners. Um, but you know how much it actually uh, gives back to the city. I haven't seen anything that suggests that it it it, it gives an equal. Uh, so the stadiums are basically it. nonprofits and don't pay taxes. Yeah, exactly. You know. Um, well, that's, that's yeah. that seems crazy to me, Omar. We're just about out of time, but um, mm-hmm. I, um. As as your colleagues know that have been on the show before, I always ask list or guests to share with listeners where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. And uh, I'm I'm guessing the answer is uh, a good place to look is at inequality.org. But are there some some resources that you could share with people uh, how to to find out more about what we've been talking about and what they might do about it? Yeah. So um, yeah. So uh, all all of our work uh, is uh, available at inequality.org. Um, you know, you can um, look at our summary and or download the report. Um, you know, there's you know other people who have been reporting about this in the past. So you know, I definitely recommend uh, you know the Brookings Institute, and um, and I will also um, you know. Um, you know, recommend people to look into the Green Bay Packers and look at their like ownership structure. Um, you know, um, you know because it, you know they boast uh, the, um, you know the it's you know it's a it's a publicly owned uh, team, and it's the only one that's uh, like that in all the professional sports. Uh, so it might that might be interesting as yeah. uh, 
you know, as a, um, you know, as a alternative option for other sports teams, and that may even justify, you know, uh, you know, uh, why public funds may go into a stadium or to some infrastructure project well, or renovations, especially if the, you know, the public owns it. Thanks again, Omar. We've got to end it there. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID nineteen or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing, or if you are worried about your health, call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. 
Your trip begins at michigan.org. Tom Sumner, program.com. The Tom Sumner, program.com. First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I played football for Temple University, and it's the truth, see? Don't keep asking me, did you really play? Yes, I really played. At one time, I had a beautiful body. I weighed, uh, I weighed 192 pounds, and they made me a fullback. Now, before you start tuning up, let me get my story finished. <laughs> no, the truth of the matter is that uh, it didn't take much to play for t- Temple at the time that I was playing because we had lost 27 games in a row. And uh, we played against real weak teams. I mean, teams like uh, Muhlenberg, Lafayette, um, was it Gettysburg? Yeah. They all beat us. They all killed us. Especially Hofstra. Hofstra beat us 900 or nothing. In their street clothes, man. They wiped us out. You know? Vassar wouldn't even play us. That's how bad we were, man. Get out of here. We don't even want you on our schedule. So I'm going to give you some insight as to what goes on in a loser's locker room. We're going to play against Hofstra, which is a really terrible school. They killed us every year, boy. And when you play for a team like Temple, you got nothing to do except pace up and down in the locker room and you say to yourself, boy, I sure do hope I don't get hurt. (laughs) I almost made a tackle last week. I must have been crazy out there. Nobody else is trying out there. I don't know why I got to be the one all the time. I play on the second team, which is actually the nut squad. Now, these are guys that can play, but they're afraid. They don't want to go out there, so they do nutty things. Like they put the helmet on sideways, looking out through the ear hole. <laughs> guys got on scuba diving suits, snowshoe and an ice skate, you know, walking around. <laughs> second team is very quiet, because they're going to go out, scared to death. That's what they are. Catholics on the squad always seem to have something special going, because they're over in the corner. Domino's father, please, Domino's but I figure if it works for him, yeah, me too, Father. He's a friend of mine. He told me how to do this. Here, please accept me. And we're pacing up and down. First team's getting last rights. And we're going. The coach is drawing trick plays on the blackboard because he has no personnel whatsoever, and he knows he's got to work with something that'll trick him. You know. All right, you guys, listen up. Uh, when they come out of the huddle, line up backwards. <laughs> And just let them run right over you, and then we'll raise the flag and everything while you're singing the national anthem, all right? We'll get pity somewhere, I'll tell you that. Then comes the athletic director. says, I'd like to talk to the boys. What? I'd like to talk to the boys. Okay. May I have your attention, please, fellas? This is uh, the athletic director, Mr. Ernie Cassell. It's the man that's responsible for giving most of you the scholarships. He'd like to talk to you, Mr. Cassell. Thank you very much, Coach Macris. Well, boys, here we are again. We're going out to have another fine football game. I'm going to go out and play against Hofstra, because you already know that. You know, they beat us last year 900 to nothing. The year before that, they beat us 900 to nothing. 
I was over in their locker room, had a chance to look at some of their players, and Christ, they're bigger than they were last year. <laughs> yes, yes, I know, I know. Fellas, I looked out in the stands, we only have 12 people out there. And this is homecoming. Just want to say a few words to you. This is our first game on television. We want to keep this television contract going because this is the only way we can make some money to buy a little scuba diving suits and uh, snowshoes and ice skates for all the weird old squads here. So we're gonna say to you, please, remember that you're on TV. By that I mean, don't worry about winning the game as much as we want you to be concerned with the fact that while you're out there on the field, we're gonna ask you, please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a the football field. Because if you're out there digging and scratching, the people at home are gonna turn you right off and we're gonna lose the contract. So please, do not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on the field. Now we're gonna pass out these affidavits and ask you to sign them, saying that you will not touch certain areas of your bodies while you're out there on a the football field, all right? So we signed them and we went out, you know, and I'm with the second team. <laughs> First team's got the ninth time for last right. Hofstra came out of the locker room. I had never seen guys so big before in my life. They had just brought 11 guys with them. Smallest guy on the squad was 6'1", 490 pounds. It was a halfback. Ran 109-1, had long teeth hanging out of his mouth. Every one of them just had one eye in the center of the forehead. The coach was beating them out onto the field with a ball and chain, hitting them smack in the back of the head. Get out of here! Go on, Igor! What's good, Igor? Said, oh God, don't look at him. If you don't look at him, you won't get scared. Second team went crazy. Oh, look, 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 look. Guys are ripping their clothes off. I can't play naked. Oh. Kicker comes up, grabs the ball. It looks like a vitamin pill in his hand. Puts it down. Out of the world. They come running down the field. First team throw some meat at him. Maybe they'll eat that. Still standing. Oh. Heaven Tippleman, out cold on the ground. Coach, all right, get the nut squad, naked or not, get out there. <laughs> we're carrying them off, and as we're carrying them off, I swear I heard one Temple guy on the ground say, Can we get up now? No, you move, I'll punch you right in the mouth. So help me, get out of here. We carry them off, Brady. Coach, all right, get out there, second team, let's go. <laughs> we got a quarterback that's 2 1. All right, run the kamikaze play on one. All right, kamikaze. Cosby up the middle, the whole team off the field. Break! We break out of the huddle, the quarterback goes up to ship. One, two, ping, gives me the ball. I take one step and I look, and there's a hole. And I had never seen a hole. <laughs> Playing for Temple. And I said, God, a hole. Turn to the people in the stands. Look at this, a hole! Did you see this? Did you get hurry up, run? I said, wait a minute, it may be a mirage. <laughs> you can't tell. I said, well, I better get moving. I'll never forget it. There was a big hole with a defensive man on the ground. 
I planted one foot, stepped over him. When I did, he stood up and hit me. <laughs> and the pain was tremendous. And I threw down the ball and I said, oh. I've been hit in the... You'd better not touch any areas of your body while you're on the football here. So I grabbed my head. And I said, oh, yes, what's your matter? I said, I can't take nothing until they bring a commercial on, all right? Thank you and good night. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
TheTomSumnerProgram.com You pilots, get off of my lawn! We're trying to do a radio show down here! It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on! Go on, get out of here! It's time for the Tom Sumner program. 